here and welcome to the Pack Heavy podcast. Now this podcast is for anyone who works in the hospitality and food manufacturing industries who use flexible packaging to get their products to market. Featuring interviews with guests who have traveled the path that you're on so that you can learn from their successes and failures and engage in the mindset required to go all in on your vision. I call this mindset the Pack Heavy mentality and it's primarily driven by deliberate action and extreme organization. You gather market intelligence, put a strong plan in place, organize the appropriate resources, and then confidently test your hypothesis against reality. So if you're ready to pack heavy on your vision, you're in the right place, and I'm excited to have you here. Good morning, and welcome to episode 55, where today I'm joined by Richard Pollock, who is the president and CEO of Polling Labs, who manufacture NSE. Now, NSE is an effervescent vitamin powder and is produced with pure, non-GMO vitamins and minerals and real fruit and veggie powders that dissolve into water, and I can personally confirm that they are all delicious. Uh, Richard was generous enough to send some samples over to uh, my house, and we have been drinking them daily, and yeah, the kids love them, and my wife and I love them, and when I was speaking to Richard during the episode, I made it known, like, they're awesome, and yeah, can't speak highly enough of them. On the episode, we literally cover the whole gamut of the NSE business model and strategy. And I've got to say, Richard has a level of knowledge and experience in the CPG world that puts this episode right up there in terms of one of the best conversations that I've had to date. Um, I walked away from it with so many insights, and I hope that you do too. But before we do get started with the episode, I do want to quickly mention Food Pack, who are generously supporting and sponsoring this episode. Now, it's important to remember that your packaging is the first and most meaningful interaction that your consumer will have with your product. Now, at Food Pack, we do focus exclusively on what your vision and needs are, and we work really hard to deliver a flexible packaging solution that serves its purpose properly at the right price. So if you're looking to get into the market for the first time, or you'd like to assess your existing packaging and a program, I recommend that you get in touch with me directly by emailing me at hayden at foodpack.ca or by giving me a call on my work cell, which is 604-360-6790. And I would love to see how I can help you out. Richard, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Hayden. No worries, mate. Where are you based? I'm based in a beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. Me too. I'm just down the road from you. I'm in Richmond at the moment. Our head office where I work at Food Pack is, yeah, just over the Knight Street Bridge here. And yeah, it's a uh, it's been a busy day for me. I spent half the day out on the road and I spent the other half just squaring away some estimates and making some phone calls. And now I'm on a call with you, which is great. So thank you very much for your time. No, thanks very much for having me. I'm excited to speak with you today. Yeah, me too. So you and I were introduced um, by Phil from This Commerce Life, Phil Chang. And uh, yeah, he reached out. I've been listening to their, you know, Phil and Kenny um, speak on this podcast, um, this commerce life for quite some time now. Got a lot of time and respect for what they're doing out in the world and out in the podcasting space. And uh, yeah, Phil reached out and said, you would be a great person to have onto the show. And yeah, obviously, thank you for taking the time. No, I mean, uh, you know, I've, I've been listening to your show as well and really enjoy it. And I really like the, you know, the focus on um, some of the similarities in the company with their packaging and yeah. um, the entrepreneurial spirit of a lot of the people that you have on. And, and really, that's what um, drives uh, not only myself, but the entire team here at uh, NRC and Pauling Labs. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. It is great to, um, you know, get out there and have these conversations. Like I'm personally learning a lot and I know that it's bringing a lot of value to the listeners as well. And you may have noticed that, you know, the vast majority of the guests that I've had on the show are in really early phases of their business. You know, they may have only been operating for a year, you know, at most. Mm -hmm. And then you come across other businesses that have been at it for, you know, three, four, five years. 
you're obviously a quite a well-established business with an amazing distribution network and, um, you know, a great brand that you've obviously worked on really hard to establish as well. So I'd really love to dig into that with you today. But before we do, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Um, so, yeah, I grew up in Edmonton, Alberta, uh, um, yep. that uh, most people are familiar with. Um, but, uh, yeah, I grew up there and, and really enjoyed um, uh, growing up on that prairie lifestyle. Um, but then uh, came out to Vancouver uh, when I was about 17 because I moved. I mean, you're obviously a transplant as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I came out to Vancouver when I was five years old and uh, from Edmonton in January. And I was, saw the green grass in January. <laughs> and I looked at my dad. I looked up and I said, yeah. why the heck are we living in Edmonton when we could be living in Vancouver? And yeah. uh, so it was sort of a lifelong dream to eventually moved to Vancouver and, and and be here so I've been here since uh since I was 17 and and uh yeah so I'm, I've lived here longer than I've I've lived in uh, I've lived in Edmonton but yeah uh, oh. west coast Canadian for sure very good what did your parents do when you were growing up so uh everybody in my family is a lawyer um so yeah I come from a long line of lawyers from uncles to aunts to uh, brother and sister-in-law on both sides of the family, sister's yep. a lawyer. Um, and I went to law school, but, uh, but dropped out after a week, um, just simply because I got an opportunity to do something entrepreneurial. Yep. Um, and thankfully, my dad was super supportive as being a lawyer. He was mm. like, please don't be a lawyer. Yep. Uh, and uh, uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it was sort of that, that whole intellectual uh, bent that a lot of lawyers have and and sort of set me on my path to uh, being super curious about mm. everything. And and I think that that's one of the, the best, uh, well, they gave me many gifts, but one of the best gifts that they ever gave me is that curiosity that mm. I, uh, that I still have to this day about everything. That's awesome. Yeah. I um, like before we started the conversation, I clicked the record button. I did let you know that I went back and had a, a listen to some conversations that you'd had on a, some other podcasts. And, you know, I'd, I'd already learned a little bit about you because I went in and I did some digging and some research online as well. But yeah, you suggested that, you know, you've had that entrepreneurial itch from a very young age. And, um, you know, even as a child, you were, you know, selling tickets to, was it a circus at home that you had? Yeah. Or, so, yeah. I mean, we, so yeah, I mean, I started out as, um, uh, a pretty odd kid in many ways and that a lot of kids were interested in sports and or <clears throat> art or music uh, but I was always interested in commerce uh, and business so uh, you know and and thankfully my uh, my dad helped me with that a little bit in in encouraging it not that he was a businessman in any way shape or form but um, you know to go out and so we started I started everything from uh, doing these little carnivals and puppet shows in our backyards, charging the neighborhood kids, uh, you know, 25 cents to get in, yeah. um, you know, the standard uh, uh, drink stands by to the side of the road. Um, you know, for any of your younger listeners, my favorite, one of my favorites was etching addresses on curbsides in front of houses, oh, cool. uh, which made a ton of money and, you know, started yeah. doing that instead of a paper route at, uh, at 10, 11 years old, um, tried to get my son into it, but unfortunately yeah. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't yeah. but, um, and, and not exactly legal because the city doesn't encourage yeah, that yeah. or didn't, but, uh, yeah. And then, I mean, that all went throughout my entire high school career was, uh, was very entrepreneurial from, 
you know, throwing, uh, throwing parties to live music events, mm. uh, uh, all sorts of things. So it was really um, very entrepreneurial uh, mm. from, from, you know, some of my very first memories. That's awesome. So obviously it was giving you a great sense of satisfaction, but what was it that was predominantly driving you at that young age? Was it the money in the bank? Was it, you know, what was it exactly that? I think it's a transaction. It was the fact that um, it really didn't have to do with the money because I didn't really. um, And even to this day, I Mm. mean, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm don't do very much for the money, Um, but it was the transaction. It was the fact that, I was providing something um, for people and, and my friends and kids at that time that they actually enjoy doing and to see that sort of um, enthusiasm to the part where they would part with a quarter or a dollar, mm. $2 or $3. And, and the same thing went through, you know, high school, even when we had those, those parties, um, you know, it was the fact that people really had a great time and they were willing to pay for it. And I really think that, um, you can get things for free and you can volunteer your time. And I think that that's really important, but it, when there's a transactional event between two people, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of an intimate thing. If, if that makes sense. I mean, it shows that they have confidence and faith in what you're providing mm-hmm. um, to the point where they're willing to give some of their time, because really at the end of the day, money is time. Mm. Uh, you know, and that's really how I look at it because you've got to spend your time to earn the money. Yep. And then you're basically trading time back and forth every time yeah. you exchange a dollar. Yeah. Um, so that was really what would encourage me. I mean, even etching, uh, stenciling the, the addresses on the curbs, um, seeing people's faces when they walked out and said, and handed me 10 bucks and like, Hey, good job. This is amazing. Yeah. Um, that's sort of what that motivator is for me is, is, is having that, even though it's, and maybe the word isn't correct in saying intimate, but having that, that transactional relationship where you're, you're really providing a service and people feel good enough about that service mm. to, to give you, to give you money in return, which I've always viewed as, as time. Mm. That in its essence is entrepreneurship in its, you know, in most basic fashion, isn't it? Like it's an emotional response that you're trying to create, you know, you want to see some value in that transaction as well. And yeah, I mean, it seems to me like you figured that out from a very young age and it's potentially followed on all the way through your life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, every, I've never had a job. Well, uh, that's, that's a lie. I bartended <laughs> during university yeah. and I, and I worked construction during university and yep, those yep. were jobs. Yeah. Um, but I've, uh, but I haven't had a job since, yep. um, because I've always loved what I've done, yep. um, since graduating university. Um, I've, um, and dropping out of law school. Yep. Um, I've always had businesses that I've uh, either owned or had partners in. And, yep. and, and so that's, you know, it's, I've never had a, had a boss or, or a job per se. Yep. Yep. Fantastic. So the NSC story, from what I understand, really sort of, if you take it right back to the very start, it almost starts with the other brand that you started working for emergency. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about how it all uh, came about. Well, in order to sort of talk about emergency, mm. I sort of have to take you back. And I know we probably only have, you know, an hour, 45 minutes. We've here, got all the time um, in the world. Yeah, we're good. Well, I'm not going to give you the war and peace version, but, um, <laughs> you know, it really started with my vitamin C journey. And maybe it was because of my behavioral and developmental disabilities that I had as a kid that really pushed me into that sort of whole entrepreneurial thing. 
Yeah. Um, so at three, at three, I was diagnosed. It obviously happened. I was showing symptoms well before that, but I was uh, super hyperactive. Um, I had major um, attention uh, deficit disorder. I had severe dyslexia. I had uh, spatial perception issues, fine motor skill issues. Um, so it was really, really hard to deal with me as a kid. Uh, teacher, I was kicked out of almost every school I attended. Um, teachers didn't want to deal with me. Uncles, aunts didn't want to deal with me. Wasn't allowed over at um, people's houses because I would go in and because I was so hyper, I'd break everything or destroy yeah. things. So my parents lived next door to um, a, a doctor by the name of uh, Dr. Abram Hoffer. And um, it was sort of a last, last ditch attempt to not put me on Ritalin. Um, they just didn't want to, my, my folks were going to put me on Ritalin, but they said, let's try something else. Yeah. So Dr. Hoffer was one of the founders of what's called the Orthomolecular Society. And the Orthomolecular Society was a group of doctors and scientists in the 1970s that said, hey, we can treat physiological um, and, and uh, uh, physical and mental uh, issues with diet and supplementation. Mm -hmm. So they took me and they basically um, put me on a major regimen, Dr. Hoffer, of um, megadoses of vitamin C, megadoses of B vitamins, niacinamide in particular, and, and some other minerals. They also removed all sugar from my diet. Mm. And lo and behold, uh, my behavior and patterns started to change to the point where I could start being treated for my developmental disabilities wow. and it was really quite amazing and I was on this regimen for up through adolescence um, and and my early teens so fast forward to um, I guess it was 1998 um, I went and I sort of was uh, there was this company that I knew uh, called emergency that wasn't really doing anything in Canada. I saw it and, and I, I was down at a trade show in, in California and, um, and met, met the folks there. And I met the owner, a fellow by the name of Jay Patrick of, of, of Alistair and emergency at that time and told him how interested I was about the, the, their product, how much I liked it. Hmm. And then I told him my story and uh, he was like, well, holy cow, I know all those guys and I know them really well. And, and we support as a company, the whole orthomolecular society. And, uh, and by the way, uh, would love for you to come and work with us. So I ended up working with them for, from 1998 up until 2012. Um, and basically, Jay Patrick, during that period, he was quite an old fellow during that time, but he, he passed away and, and then they sold the company. But I, you know, was involved in, um, I got the license for Canada. I was involved in their international business and did a lot of other work internally uh, down with them and, and worked with Jay on formulations. How sure. old were you at the time? So in 1998, I was 27. Yeah, right. So, yeah, so I, I, I literally, you know, spent those formative working years yeah. at Alistair. And then yeah. 
Yeah, so at 27 and then in, in, in 2012 at, at 41, I guess I was, yep. um, uh, they sold the company. Jay had died a few years earlier yep. and, um, and they basically, within a few months, everybody was fired from janitorial to CEO, yeah. moved the factory from California to uh, another location in the United States. And, um, but, you know, I left, I was lucky because, um, you know, we, we, we owned the Canadian market. So that, mm. that went, but we didn't have a choice on um, whether or not it was going to be sold. And, you know, at that time we'd built it to the biggest vitamin C in, in Canada. So wow. I went to my happy place and, um, you know, this is the pack heavy uh, uh, podcast. So I'll talk a yeah. little bit about um, <laughs> uh, packaging so, you know, I'm in my happy place, which was in Hawaii with my wife, and I'm reading a Harvard Business Review article yeah. on water. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if you know much about the water market, but in 1982, there was one water on the market, and it was called Evian, and it, mm. was, a, uh, it was a cosmetic product. It was a beauty product that um, people would spray on their faces for moisturization, um, and it was this atomized water. Right. Um, but then all of a sudden, Evian came out with a drinkable format, and then still water started to grow and grow and grow. And it's not my favorite category, but um, I believe it was in 2016, anyway, maybe maybe the year before. But water, for the first time, outsold soft drinks. Wow. Yeah. And so, but anyway, I'm lying on the beach and with my wife, and I'm sad, and I'm like, you know what? A light bulb went off in my head, and I said, you know what? This is a emergency was a product that we loved. Um, but we knew we could make it better and we knew that we could build something that was, that consumers would resonate with from a more natural perspective, Mm -hmm. uh, a lot more in it. Um, and, and again, real food ingredients. So that natural aspect. So really saying, Hey, and and I don't know if your listeners have, have been in this way, but if you've ever they've ever seen anything that they really liked, but they knew they could make it better. Yeah. And then yeah. that's that's essentially what we did is we said we we're going to take this monopolized category, we're going to build it into uh, a premium product within the category and build the category for everybody. And that's sort of where um, NRC was born uh, from was that day on the beach in Hawaii. And 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 you know the other thing was is that. Um, we had a good crew of people at that company that we really loved to work with. Mm-hmm. And um, if you've ever worked on a team of people that you know are sort of the best you'll ever get a chance to work with, um, we went out and we said, you know what, we're going to keep this team together mm-hmm. uh, and we're going to start this together. So we really, it was a group of ex-employees who got together and said, we're going to do this together. I went and sort of rallied the troops and, yep. and, uh, and, and NRC was born out of that. Amazing. So yeah, I mean, you're only as strong as the founding team, aren't you? And it sounds like timing was perfect because as you suggested, emergency was a monopolizing the industry. There weren't any other competitors out there pushing them into spaces that made them feel uncomfortable. So you saw an opportunity and you know, from the seat of the idea and you going, you know what, this is something that we can do. We've got the people, we've got the capability to actually getting a product on the shelf. What kind of time frame are we talking here? So, you know what, um, everything sort of went into the company was sold in 2012. Um, you know, we, I, I said, because I was fortunate enough to get a little bit of money out of it. I sort of, we picked some of the core people yeah. and said, Hey, let's, let's keep you guys going. Don't know what you're going to do, do with you, but 
I guess from the genesis of the idea, which was probably July, August of 2012, because the transaction happened in February to, so say July, August, so 10, it was about 20, I think the first product was on shelf the end of 2013. Wow. That's quick. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So are you manufacturing it yourself or are you using a contract manufacturer? Um, so we we started out a little bit with um, with ourselves doing all the prototyping. And then yep. we found that in order to scale up, yep. much better off um, using contract facilities. Yeah. Um, just the capital requirements yeah. to have your own facility. And I see you're in a factory there. I mean, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and because we were self-funded, we didn't go to market. We didn't, you know, decide to go the public route or, yeah. or dilute ourselves is to just really hold on to our equity as much as we could. Yeah. Um, and the efficiencies as well yeah. of contract manufacturing, yeah. um, which are, which are many. Mm. Um, so, um, so yeah, so we, we, um, we started with, uh, with, with, with uh, the contract manufacturing and, and yeah. still use uh, facilities to this day. That's awesome. One thing that, you know, I was listening to the podcast last night and you were talking about how you all sort of got together. You all sort of brought in some money of your own to sort of get the business up and running. And I was thinking to myself, okay, how did you actually distribute those funds? Like, were you thinking, all right, or where was sort of the major expenses and what was it that you had to spend the vast majority of that money on? Team. On the team. Yeah. Team. Yeah. So it was really about making sure that people had a livelihood, number one. Yeah. And then number two, um inventory yeah. was was a big part of it yeah. um because we had to build up that inventory so yeah. that was that was huge and then the third part was was sort of that was marketing funds yeah. and ensuring that we're uh really focused and what we wanted to do and a lot of your a lot of companies that are coming out today or came out when we did or came out just after actually mm. sort of graduating class post 2015 mm-hmm really started online and we didn't start online. We wanted to go out. Part of the reason why we built the company was to support uh, the natural channel retailer, because that's where uh, our sweet spot is. So Mm -hmm. the independent retail chains is Mm -hmm. really where um, we had our relationships and where we wanted and who we wanted to support. We love that sort of independent again, going back to supporting that entrepreneurial spirit um, to say, Hey, these are, you know, independent stores, they're smaller chains. Let's support these guys. Let's work at bricks and mortar, um, really focusing. And the beautiful thing about NRC was that it's perfect for sampling. Hmm. So, I mean, I can't tell you how many hours I've spent on the floor of stores demoing our product. And I mean, so that was really how we built the brand um, was through getting it into people's mouths, getting them to try it, getting them to understand how much better this product tasted than anything else on the market, Mm. how enjoyable it was, how it made people feel. Mm. Um, So, yeah, so it was really, and, and, and to this day, we sort of still live by those principles. It's it's about the people, number one, um, the product, number two, and then, and then the profit flows, flows after that. Mm. You know, it sounds to me like you had a very good understanding of the market as it was with emergency. You potentially had a really good idea as to sort of how you could enter NSC into the marketplace to compete. But has it changed over time? Like, has the business model changed over time? Has your strategy changed? Like, how is it, you know, tell me a little bit about any shifts that you've made, you know, over the years. Yeah, so really interesting question. So Going back, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Would I have decided to go and compete against the world's largest pharmaceutical company because they're 
Pfizer is Pfizer, the one yeah. that, that bought um, Emergency, and then it's it's actually now a uh, it's it's a joint venture between Pfizer and Glaxo Welcome. So mm. the two biggest drug companies now I'm competing against, and yeah. as I've mentioned before, it wasn't even a David and Goliath situation. I was mm. the dung beetle on David's sandal, right? Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. So. Going back, what I've said, I'm going to take on these giant beasts as just being myself and, and this ragtag team of, of folk. Um, not quite sure. But we went out um, really with a bit of a guerrilla style in mind, in that we were going to poke our heads up and you know take a couple of shots and see if they worked. So we started out very much, a um, and, and only in Canada, as a very um, grassroots, getting boots on the on the on the ground, going into stores and building those relationships, working mm -hmm. off of uh, the Triple H rule, which was coined by um, uh, the founder of Vega, uh, which is a protein famous protein yeah. powder in town, yep. Charles Chang. And you know, it's funny is, and I love it because his his you know it was the Triple H rule: handshake, hug, hangout. Yeah. Um, with the buyers. And so that's how we built our brand is building those relationships or rebuilding those relationships with the NRC brand, with our retail partners. As we've grown, and we're now the number one selling vitamin C in, in Canada in that natural channel, um, we've expanded into the US. So we've had to change strategy a little bit in that we weren't spending anything on um, institutional advertising or direct to consumer advertising. It was mm -hmm. really trade-based recommendation yep. on floor. So, you know, as we've grown in order to reach that broader audience, um, you know, we've had to bring in professional marketing people mm. um, and the, an amazing team here as well to really start pushing out that direct to consumer messaging um, to get that what's called that personal relevance score up um yep. with 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 our um with our nrc users customers and fans mm. and when you were building the brand so like NS, um nsc's got quite a clinical yet fun feel to it it's sort of it's a hybrid is sort of how i look That's at right. it is that it seems very very intentional but did you have a couple of ideas that you were sort of rattling around so that you could position the brand intentionally or you know was this just exactly what you knew that it needed to be well, I'd like to say I came out of the gate and I was this genius and no, it had no, <laughs> it's no. So um, it started with, you know, and, and it's an interesting transition because when, when we started, it sort of, I went out and I said, okay, listen, I, this is an electrolyte product. It's a vitamin C product. It's not just for immune emergencies. I want people to take this daily and be yeah. part of their daily ritual mm -hmm. and really focus on um, how people take it daily to improve their lives, improve their energy. And really with NRC, it was about energy. Mm -hmm. And um, so when we came out, we really were sort of straddling, as you've said and, and noted quite well, you know, the clinical side for immunity, some clinical hydration, um, and then, you know, that, that energy piece as well, mm. um, really combined into one. And, you know, over the course the period of, you know, the last five, seven years, we sort of said, listen, we've, we've gone, we've waxed and waned between being that clinical dose of multivitamins and vitamin C to being that hydration product to being that energy product. And where do we really fit? But we sort of 
settled on the fact that we are this, you know, we are um, the best in vitamin C. And that's mm. really what we are. We have amazing hydration and amazing electrolytes. And, mm. you know, one of the things, and I always talk about this on podcasts or interviews as well, is um, if you want to try, if you want to test the energy uh, component or, or, or effect of, of energy is um, when you eat lunch, you typically lose a little bit of energy because your electrolytes are uh, through your vagus nerve or, or pouring into your stomach. And so you get a little sluggish, a little low. That's why people say, Hey, I need a cup of coffee or a, a glass of tea after lunch. If you drink an NRC after lunch, you get that immediate energy jolt because what ends up happening is you're boosting your electrolytes again. So not all of your electrolytes are sitting in the stomach. And the reason why you get the energy from NRC is not only because we've got some B vitamins and potassium, but it's that those electrolytes. Most of us are walking uh, dehydration machines. We're just dehydrated all the time, whether mm -hmm. we realize it or not. And dehydration doesn't have to do with the amount of water you're drinking. It has to do with the amount of electrolytes that you're consuming and getting into your body because mm -hmm. we are bags of mostly water and every smell, feel, taste, touch, site piece of site we have it all travels on this electrolyte superhighway. Mm -hmm. So um, it's just super important to keep those up. So yeah, um, we have we have sort of swung back over to that whole vitamin C piece because it's it's quite frankly the the area that we're best known for. But we're we're so much more than vitamin C, and I think that's why we sort of own uh, own that category. If that mm. answers your question, yeah, no, it absolutely does. I think the other piece, and and you tell me if I'm wrong, but like the the vast majority of the success you've seen is due to the awesome distribution network that you've got, you know, actually getting it from A to B in an efficient manner. So I'd love to hear about your strategy and, you know, the way that you've gone about distributing the product, especially now that you're an international company as well. Yeah. So, um, you know what, we've done it a couple of different ways. So very, very hard. And I'll talk about Canada. I'll talk about the U S because yeah. they're different. They're different animals. Yeah. Um, you know, in Canada, we had, we have our own rep force, but it's also, um, such a large geographical territory with a smaller population base. Mm. We decided that we just couldn't do it on our own. So we wanted, um, distributor partners as well. And so what we did is we set up something a little bit unique in that we have our own sales force, but we also have the distributor sales force. And the whole idea is that we complement one another. Hmm. We never undercut a distributor. Uh, we work with their teams to help our sales team. will work with their team to get products into their accounts. We have yep. some of our own accounts that are direct and we really work in unison to to provide the best service mm. to all of the accounts that are carrying our products. And mm -hmm. it's just, it's so key to be able to do that. You know, you've got some customers that want next day delivery just in time. Yeah. Um, those have to go through our distributor partners. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's really, they, we operate on this, um, it's this internal um, philosophy of called QQE quality, quantity, uh, and execution of distribution. And really what that means is, um, you know, what's the quality of stores that are carrying our products? Are they turning? Um, because if they're not, then, you know, it's no use to them and it's no use to us. Yeah. What's uh, uh, the, um, the quantity? Um, how many stores do we have? What are our targets? 
and then uh, the execution. Um, how are we executing our promotional activities? So there'll be a lot of companies that'll go out and say, hey, we're going to put these promotions together and we're going to say we've got all of these great activities going on. But if you're not in the stores, ensuring that you're supporting those stores with the execution of those activities, hmm. then sort of it's a waste of, of their time and your time. Hmm. Um, so that's sort of Canada. And, and we, we QQE crosses all of our borders. But in the U.S., because the U.S. is such a monster, um, we started very differently. We started regionally as a very small regional play in, in Washington State, Oregon, and California. And yep. when I say very small, small for the U.S., but, yeah. you know, California is the size of Canada, so yeah. population-wise. Yep. But just, you know, and I would spend um, weeks just driving up and down the coast of uh, uh, the West Coast, visiting stores, demoing um, you know, taking vacations with my wife where we'd just be in the car eating hand meals going, you know, from Eureka, uh, California down to, you know, Fort Bragg, uh, you know, it's, it's, yep. it's a lot of fun back in those days, the pioneering days, but um, very expensive to have your own rep force in the mm -hmm. U.S. Mm -hmm. So we sort of worked with a combination, again, with some inside folks. Uh, here and then um, me and a couple other people traveling down to the states but then we started hiring brokerage and really building out with uh, with regional distribution and the national distributors mm. um, and working with them the difference in the United States with you know some of the distribution networks is um, you know UNFI KE those big those big guys um, you know they've got reps and some of the reps are very good but you really need to layer on a, a a brokerage team or a sales rep team and then hold them to that you know the qqe the quality quantity and execution of of, of of your distribution yeah that's fantastic you know being an entrepreneur i can imagine you know you would see everything through that lens and having an established or somewhat established business now how do you keep that hunger alive is it you know through speaking with your customers and you know asking the right questions to tease out some information so that you can learn something about your brand and potentially where you can move in the future or yeah, I'd love to sort of learn a little bit more about, um, you know, the market research that you're doing so that you can remain relevant in the consumer's eyes. Yeah. So um, again, I'll push it back to, I've just got this innate curiosity yep. and I try to imbue everybody that that works with us with that mm. same level of curiosity yeah. and a level of enthusiasm because yeah. it's sort of like I'm, I'm so excited about our growth. So, you know, we, um, we do a lot of research and one of the things that was clear and evident to us was from the outset was the, um, the non-GMO yeah. um, piece that we did, you know, we, we, we launched with that, but we did the research on that and, and it was really important to us. But the other, um, and I can go back to that too, but the other thing that we did through the research as well is just that consumers wanted, so NRC multivitamin doesn't have a lot of sugar in it, mm. has, a very, has way less sugar, has a, you know, almost a fourth of the sugar quarter that an apple has. Yeah. Um, but people were still demanding sugar-free. Mm. And um, it was from us doing demos in the store. So all of our sales reps are record, required to do you know, one demo a week or a couple yeah. demos a month. I was doing demos and our marketing people do demos because that's where you're getting direct feedback mm -hmm. uh, from those customers. Yep. And everybody was, was requesting a sugar-free product. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And so, and then we went out and we did some paneling with it with some of these um, uh, local um, paneling groups. And we found that that was a really important thing for people, even though, again, we only had a, you know, the quarter, a quarter amount of sugar of a, as an apple in it. Yeah. And, and the sugar is important for absorption, but we went out and, and really <clears throat> it took us a long time, but we came up with a sugar-free product. And, and as I told you uh, earlier, when I was growing up, I was uh, off of sugar entirely. Yeah. I wasn't allowed any refined sugar, but anything that I was given as a sugar substitute tasted like I was eating manure. Yeah. Uh, it was horrific um, and, and, and traumatizing for me as a kid. Yeah. I mean, just eating those things that were just awful. Yeah. We're so fortunate um, now, like there's so much choice now, you know, but uh, back then I can imagine there would have been nothing, nothing. No, yeah. it was carob, you know, it was yeah. horrible. Yeah. And so, um, it was really important for me that we built something that tasted outstanding, mm-hmm. not just good, but outstanding. And that's key for everything that we produce is that it, it can't be good. It has to be great. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, my VP of sales who started the company with us, uh, Mark Sterling, um, you know, calls me the purple octopus uh, because it's got the longest gestation period of, a, of any animal alive. I think it's like three years. Or that, yeah, like more than an so, elephant. Yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. So, um, so, and the reason why it took so long is because it had to taste X, like just awesome off the charts. Yeah. So, you know, it was that type of discussion that we have um, internally, externally, uh, through focus groups, mm-hmm. um, talking to our buyers, um, talking to as many customers as we can, and just really getting an understanding, is this something that they're going to support, you know, should we come out with it? And, you know, normally when we green light something, it's, it's a 99 to 100%, you betcha we will. Yeah, you're so confident in it because you've spent the time and the energy yeah, really getting that feedback and iterating and so on. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask, you know, who who you rely on for that taste test. Like you said, focus groups. But, you know, what kind of demographic are you specifically targeting and what kind of, you know, who are you looking to get the ultimate approval from? Like, is it your own palate that you rely on the most or? I would say it's... Um... I don't like to say it, but it's true. It is my own palate yeah. that, I mean, if yeah. I don't like, I love it. Yeah. If I don't love it, then yeah. there's no point. And that's yeah. where my enthusiasm comes yeah. from because every product that we build, I absolutely love. So mm. I want to nurture and support them just, mm. you know, not to the extent of my own kids um, because I'm sure my kids will listen to me someday, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's how I look at it. Yeah. And that's why I'm so enthusiastic because yeah. it was something that we as a team, um, birthed from nothing from, mm-hmm. and that's the excitement on, 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 on building products is yep. you're creating something from thin air. And so yeah. you want to nurture and build that, but it is my own palette. Yep. And then once, but then I want to gut check or palette check, if you will, mm-hmm. um, not only, um, the flavors that we've done, but the flavor profiles, because you know what, I am not the arbiter of, 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 of everything that's good taste. I yep. know that. And I know yep. that I'm flawed because I'm a human being. Mm. So it passes my taste test. And then we go out and we start working with a variety of different groups. And we'll go out to our buyers Mm. uh, at at retail and say, hey, what do you think, guys? Uh, Then we'll get a select group and do the paneling with with paid for focus group. 
demographic that we're looking at is anywhere from, you know, 25 to, to 55, yeah. um, mostly women, mm-hmm. um, because we find that women give more candid feedback for some reason. Right. Um, and, um, and, and, and we also, with NRC, we skew heavily uh, t- towards women. They're the, they're the ones making the purchases in the, in the household. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And then, and then once everybody comes back, I've got a pretty stringent rule that again, it's gotta be 99 out of a hundred. We can't have more than, you know, one person saying it's, it's not, it's not yeah. my favorite. Yeah. Um, because every flavor we come out with, we want people to say, Hey, that's my favorite. And, and the reason why we do make the flavors we make is not everybody has the same mm. structure in their mm-hmm. mouth mm-hmm. Um, from a taste bud buildup. And that's why we taste things differently. Yeah. So really important to, to offer that choice. Yeah. But I have think had, there's a limit to the choice that you offer. Yeah, I know. It gets a bit overwhelming at times, doesn't it? But I was wondering, have you had any flops? Have you had any SKUs go out on the market that you've had to just kill straight away? You're like, yeah, no, this no. just isn't. No, that's cool. No. Okay. Yeah. No, but we are talking now about, you know, um, we've got, you know, from our SKU perspective, you know, our best selling SKU is like 24, 25 and our yeah. least selling SKU is like 8%. So it's yeah. not that yeah. 80, 20 rule, yeah. but you know, we want to be, we're continually innovating and, mm. you know, with our, with, we've just launched two sugar free SKUs, um, a uh, mixed berry and a, um, and an orange. They were the and, first to go in our house. They're delicious yeah. by the way. Oh, thank, yeah. thank yeah, you yeah, so yeah. much. Yeah. Yep. That, well, those were the ones with the purple octopus. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think that it, it behooves any manufacturer to understand that um, we are sharecroppers, yeah. but sharecroppers of the linear footage in, in, in the retail space. So instead of working the square footage of our farm plot pulling vegetables, we're, we're working the linear footage of the, of the planograms within the retail spot. So if we're not generating revenue to the level that we think we can for um, our landlords, mm. the retailers, mm-hmm. um, then it's, and then it behooves us to go to them and say, Hey, listen, um, we need to rat, we need to rationalize what SKUs we have in here. And we've got these other SKUs that are coming out and we believe that we should pull, um, a couple of these SKUs off because yep. they're not turning to the quantum, yep. uh, that you want to. And, yep. you know, one of the things that we deal with all the time is, are we dealing with incremental or accretive growth, yep. um, of our brand? And, um, you know, adding SKUs just for that incremental growth, that cannibal and cannibalizing your other SKUs isn't worth it. You want that accretive growth where you're actually growing the entire pie. Mm. And the retailers want that too. Um, one of the things the pandemic taught, taught retailers, ones that we've spoken to, is they don't need the depth of, they don't need 15 different brands of uh, green beans. They don't need 15 different brands of canned mushrooms or 15 brands of rice. And so mm-hmm. cereals, vitamin yep. C, you, you know, so you've got to really rise above and show that you're actually um, sharecropping that linear footage on the, mm. on the planogram in a responsible way. So uh, we are having those conversations about what we what we have to do to support those retailers because it goes back to to Charles Chang saying of the Triple H handshake hug hang out and you're only hanging out with the people that you trust and know that you have that mm. they have there's a, a reciprocity to having each other's back. Yeah, yeah, it's a mutually beneficial relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, understanding the mechanics of that retail world, 
is so critical to success and you know knowing the buyer and obviously having Kenny Venucci on the team would be so beneficial in that space you know considering he's come from London Drugs but for somebody out there that's just getting started and they're trying to get their product onto the retail shelf what do you like would you have any words of wisdom for them like just who would you recommend they reach out to to get some advice or you know how did you learn that world huh so I think it comes down to mentorship Mm. Um, so I spend a lot of my time mentoring as well, um, a variety because it, it just, it, I learned, I had mentors early on in my career that sort of, I had to learn things the hard way, but, um, being part of associations really helps, uh, because it opens a lot of doors, volunteering for those associations really help as well. Um, so right out the gate, join your local chamber, join your, like, for example, I've, I've uh, been a former, I'm a former director of the Canadian Health Food Association, I've been supporting them for a long time, going to those trade shows, you meet everyone and everybody's willing to help. And particularly yeah. today, when you're a, a new entrepreneur or starting a new business, mm. people want to help you, people want mm-hmm. to help you succeed. Um, yeah. There will be very few doors that are just closed in your in, in your face. I mean, there are some for sure. Uh, some of the bigger corporations don't want to give you the time of day. Yeah. Uh, but the, the smaller ones, and if you're just honest, truthful, say, hey, can I buy you a cup of coffee? I've got this really neat pro- pro- um, product that I'm launching. I'd love your input. Uh, you know, you might get seven no's, but if you get three yeses, you've got to go in. Yeah. The other thing is, is um, for, there isn't a thing for guys, but um, for, for, for young female entrepreneurs or not young female entrepreneurs, but female entrepreneurs, um, there's the, um, the form that they can join and that's across Canada right. and they will pair you up with, um, FWE, you can look it up or the form. I'll put it in the um, show notes. The, yeah. Yeah. They'll, they'll, they'll hook you up with, uh, with, uh, they have an entire mentor community that they'll hook you up with. Um, the other thing is contacting other manufacturers mm. and other brands and mm. saying, Hey, I've got a question. I, res- I respect your brand. I like your brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, or there's something that you've done. That's really interesting. Will you explain it to me? Mm. And you may get some people to say, go, go, go away. Yeah. But if you, if you call 10 people and you get one or two people coming back, those gems are going to be beautiful. And I've yeah. never had, you know, I'm one of those guys too, that I've, I've never said no to anybody. I mean, I'm always happy to give, go have a cup of coffee with somebody. Yeah. Um, and share my knowledge because again um, it's not about the money it's about sharing time Mm. and um, because that's the only commodity of any value and 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 wanting to see people succeed so I think more often than not you'll get um, you'll get buyers at at retail stores that that do want to see you succeed that do want to support you and if you're uh, a reasonable human being um, you'll get you know to the, to, to the first age, to the second age, and then to the third age. Yep. Um, you know, my favorite story um, in that is um, one of my favorite people on the planet is a guy by the name of Sanjeev uh, Joda, who owns um, a chain of stores in Ontario called uh, Nature Source and has these other ones called Nature Signature. And he gave me the hardest time. He was the meanest guy initially, right? He just was short. What are you doing? Yeah. Um, but, you know, as I kept on pushing with him, 
he started opening up more and more and more and then became one of our biggest cheerleaders um, and, and has become one of my dear friends to this day. Um, but it's like, you've just got to keep, it's persistence and, um, you know, grit and tenacity uh, that really opens those doors. But mm. you've got to knock on every door. Uh, building a new brand, you can't be an introvert. Mm. Um, you just have to, and, and, you know, you might be secretly an introvert, but you've got to go talk to everybody, speak to everybody, not worry about um, being too forthright. Yeah. Because some people will hold their cards too close to their chest and say, I'm not going to share. If you don't want to, if you're going to hold your cards too close to your chest, people will recognize that right away and yeah. shut you shut down. Yeah. Be open, be forthright. I mean, nobody's going to steal your idea because nine times out of 10, your ideas in a super original one anyway, because yeah. there are very few original ideas. Yeah. Um, and, and for the most part, people want you to win. So, and that's where I think um, smaller, newer brands will always find a way because of that human connection. Yeah, that's such great advice. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you seem so positive about everything right now, you know, within the business, but I can imagine that, you know, like everything in life, there are peaks and troughs, right? And, you know, there are waves that you're riding. I'd love to hear about some, not tough times, but like what's kept you up at night? Like what kind of things stress you out and how do you overcome that? Um, so I do sound pretty positive, but I, uh, and, and I do have to say, thankfully, I don't ever have trouble sleeping. That's Good. Right. Yeah, I, no, I, I don't sleep. either. <laughs> uh, We've both got and, kids, don't we? And, yeah, that's right. And, <laughs> and actually when I get depressed or when I get nervous, I, I tend to go to sleep. All right. Um, yep. so you know what, uh, it's a, I, I use this expression and I get in trouble for it, but put your fucking diapers on, yeah. excuse my language. Um, because you're going to poop your pants on a regular basis. Yeah. That's what, that's what being an entrepreneur is. Mm -hmm. um, it is as many ups as there are downs. Yeah. Um, it is not about the destination. And that's really how, what grounds me mm. is, and where I'm grateful all the time is I'm not, you know, I have my sights set on Mount Everest and I know I'm going to scale that thing one day, yeah. but I've been stuck. Uh, I've gone from base camp one to base camp two, up to base camp three and maybe four, but then I'll come all the way back in. Mm -hmm. And particularly over this last um, 19 or 20 months or yep. whatever it is yep. now, it's been full of those, you know, I'm almost at the peak and then I'm all back down. Hayden, this is for me about the journey mm -hmm. and understanding that um, business is an adventure. Mm. And that um, I, that's how I frame everything. And that, you know, walking through um, the Togi Wood to sort of quote one of, you know, the poems that guides me through my life is um, you're going to fight those Jabberwockies, those monsters uh, that are out there and, and you're going to slay them. And, and But then there are going to be other ones that pop up. So if you're focused on the fact that um, this is an adventure and this isn't supposed to be all positive. Um, as a matter of fact, it should be just as negative as it is positive, mm -hmm. not negative, but those negative experiences, because that's where the learnings come from. Mm. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. Those low points are really where you learn things. If everything's great and you, you know, you don't get to be the greatest of all time by, by winning every time. Yeah. It, just, yeah. it doesn't happen. There's, 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 it's those pitfalls 
those hard times, the, 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 the nights where you're in tears um, and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to live down on Skid Row because this isn't going to work, um, that, that makes the, the wins even that much sweeter. Yeah. And, but it's, it, but you've got to measure that because you can't be winning all the time. You can't be losing all the time, but you can be on an adventure the whole time. Mm. And as long as you lens it that way, or well, as, as long as I lens it that way, I know everything's going to be okay. And that's sort of how I deal with it. That's awesome. Um, yeah, absolutely. Right. It is the journey. And I think that we all get, you know, lost, you lost in the mix, you know, and tend to lose our way, but how often do you sort of look up and go, this is what my vision is or how often do you remind yourself of your vision or the direction that you're going in? Is it some a daily reminder for you or, you know, it's sort of hourly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. you have to, yeah. um, because you know, I'm, I'm a super emotional guy. Right. Um, so, um, I'll have one email where I'm on the top of the world and I'll have the next email where I've just been gut punched. Yeah. Um, so I've got to remind myself hourly. I, I collect myself at the end of the day um, where I'll go and um, just before I get in my car, I'll stand in the parking lot and, you know, usually it's dark and I'll look up and take some deep breaths and, you know, say some words of thanks that I got to have the experience that I had today, mm. pop in my car, crank the tunes and drive home for 20 minutes. That's awesome. Um, and, and so it's a ritual that I hold to every single day where I just sort of decompress and I'm grateful regardless yeah. of, of how great the day was or how many diapers I had to go through that yeah. day. Um, but it's, it's just a ritual that I've, I've been doing since, since 1998. Yeah. And what do you do outside of work? What do you spend the other sort of percentage of your time on? Um, well, I mean, so I, I, I do, quite a bit of mentoring for yep. um, newer businesses and uh, and spend a lot of time on that. I've got a 10 and a 13 year old kid mm. uh, that we spend a lot of time in, but you know, I, I sort of uh, just started relearning uh, playing guitar, oh, cool. uh, which is kind of fun. Uh, kiteboarding. I love to cook with my wife, which is really another kind of adventure uh, that we do. And, and yeah, but um you know, I hate to say it, but 90, apart from the kids and a few other things, it's, it's when you've got your own business, it, it becomes all encompassing. And I do yeah. have to smack myself or even ask my 10 and 13 year old, am I present for you? Because I'm, you know, Saturday afternoons, I'm thinking about work yep. and yep. I'm with my kids because I'm, because, you know, unfortunately this is, you know, it's, it's something I've given birth to too. So mm -hmm. You know, it's it's Orson Welles put it best when he was interviewed one time and they said, Orson, you got a famous film director. You've got so many things going on and in your professional life, you're making all these movies. You know, how do you how do you manage your 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 personal life? And he's like, listen, I don't they blend together. It's my life's work. Yeah. And um, and my wife works in the business as well. Yeah. Um, so you know, it is my life's work and, and they do blend together, but you know, there are some other fun stuff, like, don't get me wrong. I have a lot yeah. of fun outside of, outside of uh, uh, the day-to-day -day here. For sure. Yeah. I find that, you know, speaking to the guests that I've had on the show as well, they find it really hard to separate, you know, work and home life. And um, I think, you know, obviously everything is a balance, but you're absolutely right. Like it is all in one, like there is no clear separation, like your life is your life and, you know, but um, 
yeah, I was just interested to hear, you know, the the path that you take. And it's really cool to hear that, you know, you stand in the car park and actually like take an opportunity to sort of reset and change gears because I think changing gears is really important. Um, thank you so much for your time today. Like we've covered a lot of ground and I feel like I could speak to you for another hour about vitamin C. And, and the one thing that I found, find so impressive about you and listening to you is that you're so passionate about the industry and vitamin C is almost like you're an advocate for the vitamin itself. And you believe in it so much and you're so well educated on the space and you understand business so well. And I think that if there's a, a key takeaway that I've taken away from this conversation and listening to you that I recommend, you know, and I hope that other people have picked up on it as well is like, imagine if for everyone else out there listening, imagine if you knew your business as intimately as Richard here and knew the industry and knew the product that you've got as intimately as Richard does it, you would only see success. Like, you know what I mean? Like you, you live and breathe it and you believe in it in your bones. And it's so awesome to see. So yeah, thank you very much for sharing that with us today. I've learned a lot and I hope everyone else has too. Hey man, Hayden, thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed my time with you and, and really appreciate you having me on today too. Yeah, it's a pleasure, mate. It's great I always, you. you know what, before we do leave, we've got five minutes and I'd like to utilize this time because I've really enjoyed your conversation. And I've been asking everybody this, but if we were to fast forward a year from now and you could say to me that you'd had your best year ever, what is it that you would have accomplished? Uh, what would I have accomplished if it's the best year ever? Um, I would have accomplished a, from the business perspective, I would have launched uh, the SKUs that I plan to launch, um, that I've set my plan for launching right now, that my NPD and my EPD are are executed on time. Um, I would uh, have scaled uh, the spins uh, data in the United States to be from a year from now, we're currently number eight in the last four week period. I would like to be number three or four position. Yeah, uh, would be fantastic. Um, I would like to have added another two people uh, to my team. Mm -hmm. There are two specific positions I'd like to add. And I'd, uh, if it was the best year ever, it would be a, a 20, you know, a, a significant level of, of earnings um, because, you know, we put everything we, we can back into the company, but yep. to be able to earn a little bit more would mean that I could put that much more money back into the company to continue yep. to grow. Um, you know, if we could be sitting here next year with my team and everything else, it would be the way things were, it would be the best year ever yeah. because this year that we just had, even though there was, it was a hell of a year yeah. was still the best year ever yeah. because, you know, it's uh, my best friend. We talk, we talk chicken a lot because we love chicken. We love, we're, we're chicken fans. <laughs> like and, live you know, chickens or chickens? No, no, no. Like eating fried oh, okay. chicken yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or oh, whatever. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. we always say, you know, uh, if we've had what we consider to be, you know, unbelievable chicken, it's the second best chicken place in town. <laughs> and, uh, and well, okay, well, what's the what's first number one? Yeah. Well, no, that no one ever gets to number one because you don't want to ever, you know, have that, 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 that best chicken. Cause you always want to be searching for that, the best one. So yeah. you always find if it's amazing and you think it's the best, it's in yeah. the second slot. Yeah. And, you know, cause that, the the number one spot will always be empty. So I'm hoping that, you know, every year that I've had in business has been sort of better than the last, yep. uh, whether it's not been financially super awesome, or we've had some issues, whatever they are. 
I like to look back at the end of the year and again, just be grateful Mm. that I've got again to have the journey. So Mm. it's not necessarily the end goal. I know what my Mount Everest is Mm -hmm. and I know what I'm aspiring to, but every year has to be that sort of best year otherwise, because it is part of the journey and those lessons that you learned are really where those nuggets are. Again, time being the only commodity of value and knowledge being, you know, the second most important commodity. Yeah, that's awesome. How do you rate the DL chicken burger on commercial drive? You know what? So this is where I'm really struggling is I haven't had it yet, but I've heard it is unbelievable. (laughs) Kenny and Phil have been bugging me about it. And they're like, DL is the best. I've had this chicken at I'm definitely, I'm going not this weekend, but next weekend. I tried to go last. I've been trying to go every weekend and and take my kids. and Just don't go on a Monday. They don't have the chicken burgers on a Monday. They only have uh, their regular beef burgers on a Monday because there's some, I don't know, they obviously explain it much better than I do, but I think they run out of their supply over the weekend. And then the next opportunity, their supply comes in is a Tuesday. So don't go in on a Monday because you won't get it, but it's awesome. Like Yeah, I've heard everything about DL chicken. So yeah, yeah, so that's, so, I mean, hopefully that'll be the second best chicken in the city the first time I try. My second best chicken in the city, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, Richard, if anyone wanted to get in touch, what's the best way? So, uh, best way is richard at paulinglabs.com. Uh, so, that's richard at paulinglabs.com. You can, I've got a, um, you can check us out on our Instagram at tryNRC uh, and, uh, and our social sites at tryNRC as well. And you can also visit our website at www.tryNRC.com. That's awesome. And um, mate, thank you so much for generously sending us some product at home. We've been really enjoying it. The kids are loving it. And honestly, for everybody listening out there, you got to get out and try some of this product because it is sensational. I've been blending a few of the flavors together. And and Richard, how many, how many of these packs can you drink in a day? Is there a limit? So yeah, no. So I drink eight a day, um, but you know, average person should be taking between two and four and, and just as a little leave you with a little snippet. Yeah. All animals produce their own vitamin C with the exception of human beings, guinea pigs, and fruit bats. Right. Rats, which are physiologically very similar to human beings, yeah. can produce anywhere from three to 12 grams. So that would be three wow. to 12 packets a day. Yeah. And they live seven times their age of maturity. Yeah. So if we physically mature at 20, we would be living to about 140 years old. Yeah. So um, my whole thing is, is, um, we don't get enough vitamin C. Mm-hmm. We need to be taking a lot more vitamin C. Yep. So yeah, start with two. And, and, uh, but like I said, I, I drink six to eight a day and, uh, you know, I, um, uh, I've been doing that for 20 years. One question that I would want to ask. So, you know, is it best to take it all in one big hit or would you spread it out? No, over the yeah, of the day? yeah. Spread it out yeah. your, throughout the day because, yeah. you know, uh, we don't store it in our adrenals like yeah. the other animals do. Yeah. So you want to drink it, you know, drink some in the morning, drink yeah. some at noon, drink yeah. some in the evening. Yeah. And because vitamin C, I mean, we didn't really get to cover it, but it's just so critical to so many of our physiological functions mm. beyond just fighting off cold and flu from skin health to arterial health to heart health. Uh, you name it. So mm. yeah, just um, uh, more vitamin, the more vitamin C, the better. Uh, that's what I hear. Well, thank you very much for your time, Richard. I appreciate it all. And uh, I'd love to catch up again in the future. Look forward to it. And if you run out of uh, any NRC, Hayden, just uh, reach out. We'll make sure we get you more. I'll take you up on that. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thanks again for taking the time to tune in to today's episode. Before we do leave, though, I'd just like to thank our show sponsor, Food Pack. 
And I would also love to hear from you. So please feel free to shoot me an email at Hayden at thepackheavypodcast.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn at Hayden Thompson, and that's T-H-O-M-S-O-N. And last of all, you could also find me on Instagram. Thanks again, and see you next week.